Generally Speaking About the Church, episode number 19. everybody and welcome back to Generally Speaking About the Church. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft and this is a podcast production of the Generally Speaking Podcast Network. You can find this and all of my other podcasts over at gspn.tv. Anyway, it's been a long time since I've released a podcast in this particular uh, feed and I want to say thank you to whoever it is that might actually download this. Maybe you're still subscribed to this podcast feed after, would you believe, four months and one day since my last post. Uh, I cannot believe it has been that long since I've done an episode of Generally Speaking About the Church. And I want to say I am so sorry to many of you. However, at the same time, I'm kind of glad that I've taken some time off of this particular series of shows Um, The last series that I did was a five-part series titled Why I Hate the Church, of course, church being with the lowercase c, in which I kind of shared my reflections as I was reading through George Barna's book titled Revolution. And uh, I'm not going to rehash anything there, but basically a lot of things have occurred in my own personal spiritual journey, and especially when it relates to my involvement within the local church And a lot of exciting things are happening. And I just want to make sure that as I have made some major transitions, I mean, I'm talking life-changing transitions in my own involvement in in ministry, and uh, my wife and I are in the process of uh, seeking out the possibility of of joining, uh, realigning ourselves with a completely different body of believers called the local church, that more cl- is that is more closely re- aligned with the principles and the model of ministry that God has particularly called us to, and and that being more of a cell-based ministry or a, a church of small groups without the hindrance or without the ties to any of the program-based design traditional church model out there, and all the things that go along with it. Stephanie and I have been investigating the membership process of a church called Watermark Community Church. And you can read a little bit about them at watermarkcc.net. That's watermarkcc.net. And uh, I'll tell you what, I've poured over their website and everything in there is just right in line with where my heart and passion and calling to ministry is. And Stephanie and I have been visiting this church uh, for the last several weeks, uh, on and off uh, for the past couple months. And I we went to their membership slash ownership class this evening, just really felt falling in love with the vision and the mission of this church and and the way that they're designed and, and uh, structured so that it's very clear that they want to prevent this church that they that they have structured from becoming a traditional model church by letting the religion and the rules and the legalism and all the programs and all the committee meetings and all of those things seep into where uh, the church can no longer function as it's called to do without you know, putting everything through 15 different committee meetings. So anyway, we are very excited about it. And uh, Stephanie and I have not yet made the official final decision. We are, we're pretty, we're pretty sure where our hearts are and uh, where we're leaning. We are going to commit it to prayer and we are going to uh, sit down and talk with our children about this decision. And it's something that we want to do as a family and uh, just really excited about it. But one of the things that I want to do, however, is I want to share with you guys a sermon series that is currently being preached at this church that we're attending right now. Pastor Chad Cadell is the is the lead pastor of this church, and he and I went to high school together, and he also used to be the worship pastor of the church that Stephanie and I are just now in the process of leaving. And uh, I knew that he started this church a while back. I just did not 
it, it through whatever circumstances and chain of events i'm just very glad that today we are we are connecting in the way that we are because i'm very excited about what god might hold in the future uh with with stephanie and i and our family connected with watermark and and just really looking forward to that and i'm really looking forward to sharing with you uh the current series sermon series uh called religion bites and uh it's a little play on words and it's uh religion and then the bites is b-y-t-e-s but the meaning is really bad it, it's like dude religion bites it totally bites and uh that that's the whole premise of this uh, sermon series that's being preached and now what i'm about ready to play for you is last week's sermon and uh the nice thing is, is they make their uh, sermons available on CD the following week. And so uh, next Sunday, I will get yesterday's sermon, which I tell you, I've, I've listened to both of them. And, and these sermons are just right on and they, they're they speaking right exactly what has been my in my heart and in my mind and in my soul as far as where the church has gone wrong and, and what I feel that we should be about and I really want to share these words with you because although these are the words of Chad Cadell, the lead pastor of Watermark Community Church, I want to let you know I've listened to each and every single word spoken. And I want to say that that you might as well just uh, put my voice there because I, I, I stand firm behind every word spoken in, in the sermon I'm about to play and the one that I will be bringing to you next week after I get... Uh, the part two of this series and and uh, just looking forward to sharing this with you I'd love your feedback I would love to hear your feedback after you hear this if you want to just uh, email me at cliff at gspn.tv or you can call our listener line at area code 859-795-4067 and with that everybody I'm going to go ahead and just play this sermon for you so God bless you, and have a great week. I want to begin this morning just kind of throwing out a hypothetical question for you to jump on. And it's a question I'm going to need you to participate. I need you to kind of throw out your thoughts on this one. And here's the question. What is the problem with our world? When you really think about that, what are some of the answers and thoughts that come to your mind? What is the problem, in your opinion, with our world? Anybody, just throw it out there. The devil, that, that's always a real good one, okay, Satan? Yeah, like when you're in church as a kid and uh, the answer is always Jesus in Sunday school, the devil, absolutely, Satan, yeah, he's a real pain, absolutely. What else? Self-centeredness, okay. All right, everybody's too cool with their ideas, yeah? People. You're on to something there. What else? What else? Huh? Freaks. Oh, greed, okay, and freaks, okay? Those, those greedy people are freaks, okay? What else? Sin, that's all right. What, what else? No respect. No respect, yeah. Okay, tons of things. We could go on and on and on. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw one more onto the list. I'm going I'm to add one more, and it's one that, that I don't, would necessarily say is the, the sum of all of our problems, but I really believe it's part of many of the problems in our world today. And it's one that we would probably rarely identify or one we'd hardly ever mention. Religion. Religion. Religion is a, is a common thread through so many of our problems in the world today. More than we'd like to really admit, honestly. And as you look at the history of religion, it's one of, it has this history of just continually screwing up all of us in a host of several ways. And the biggest problem with religion is that it has this peculiar habit of actually pushing people further away from God. It really does. It has this, this uncanny ability to just suck the life out of churches and Christ followers and people. This uncanny ability to just rob people of the life that God really intended for them to live, to rob churches and ministries of being a part of the life-changing impact that God really wants them to be about. It just sucks the life out of all of that. And I look at that and I ask myself, how did it come to this? After all this time, how did we get to this place? And I think to answer that question, we gotta retrace our steps, our steps a little bit. I think we gotta go way back to the Bible to the beginning and re be reminded of a few key truths we see in the Bible. 
And the first truth that we see is that God is our creator. And God created a world of love and a world for love. But somewhere along the way, his creations, they they chose to begin to reach for things that weren't love. They began to choose to be tempted to want to choose other things that weren't love. And so over time, in the name of greed, in the name of control, in the name of power, they began to reach for a host of things that just weren't love. And because they continued to reach for things that weren't love, every time they did that, that stuff just seeped out and spilled over into our world. And so over time, the compounded aroma of all that has led to a world that just today absolutely reeks. It smells, it stinks, it's nasty. And it led to a world today where the feel and the smell and the touch of this place is really anything but love. I think we'd all agree on that. Really, you could define it as death. And so the creations, they looked at all this and said, well, this isn't good. We, we gotta do something about this. We don't like this death thing. We don't like the death of friendships, death of relationships, the death of integrity. We don't like any of that. We gotta do something about this. And so they said, we're gonna do something. Now, you would think that just maybe the first default they would go back to would be to look back and go, you know what? Here's what's happened. Over time, we've kind of disconnected from our love source. Over time, we've kind of detached from God, our original love source. That's not what came to their mind. You know what idea came to their heads? The idea that came to their heads was this. You know what the problem is? We don't have the right rules. That's a problem. We need new rules. So they started cranking out all these rules and all these codes and laws and moral and ethical things and said, we'll crank that stuff out and then we'll be able to work our way back to our love source. In that, the big problem they didn't see is that as those people began to get together and they'd kind of lay out these rules and they would agree on certain kind of rules within their little groups, these clubs began to form over time. And some of these clubs called themselves nations. Some of them referred to themselves as tribes. Some of them called themselves philosophies and some of themselves called themselves religion. But one of the kind of weird, negative, eerie, fringe benefits of these groups was that they began to kind of look down on people who couldn't meet their set of rules, who couldn't keep their set of rules. They kind of began to feel kind of morally superior to people who couldn't quite meet their code on things. And so ever since then, in the world, when it comes to religion, there's been this big gap between all those different groups and all the different rules, and that gap's gotten bigger and bigger over time. And over time, the walls between those groups have gotten higher and higher. And over time, the animosity between those groups has just gotten deeper and deeper. And one of the flavors of these rules and these clubs came known as religion. And what's interesting is that one of the sub-flavors of this thing called religion actually chose the teachings of Jesus Christ to kind of be their, their mantra which I think would be quite surprising to Jesus and probably might be quite surprising to a lot of us who have maybe read the Bible because if you begin to read the historical account of Jesus recorded in the Bible, you'll quickly see a guy who did not come to this earth to establish a religion. He could care less about that. He did not come to this earth to establish a religion. In no way did he come to bring us a better religion. He didn't come to earth to bring us moral ethical code 2.0. As a matter of fact, In the time that Jesus was here on earth, if you look at the scriptures, you'll see the people he had the greatest problems with, the people that got under his skin the most, the people that angered him, you know who they were? The religious types. They got on his last nerve. You don't see him having too much problem when he's hanging out with prostitutes, tax collectors, drunkards. Those people just loved him. There was this this amazing grace that just oozed out of him they were so attracted to. Didn't have a problem with those folks. But man, he got really uptight and upset at these religious people. And so we see him break their Sabbath rules and not apologize for it. (laughs) We see him totally interrupt the judgment and the stoning of a woman caught in adultery. And when he interacted with these religious leaders, he often referred to them with some pretty strong language. In the Bible, we see him refer to these religious leaders at times as snakes. He calls them wicked. 
We see him one time in scripture refer to religious leaders as sons of hell, okay? This is nice, lovey Jesus talking here, okay? If you go to the Gospel of John in the Bible, and if you're new to the Bible, it's one of the four books, first four books in the New Testament. We call them the four Gospels. And they're each books that contain a historical count of Jesus' life while he was on this earth. And uh, John is one of them. And the book was actually written by Jesus' best friend, John. Who knew? John? John wrote John. Well, check that out. What I want us to do is I want us to look for a moment at the way that John summarized what Jesus really brought to this earth. And to take a moment and look at the way that Jesus came, which was really all about overthrowing this thing called religion. Look at John 1.17. This tells us exactly what Jesus brought and what he came to do. It says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, be very clear what John is not saying here, okay? John is not saying that Moses was bad. He's not saying that Moses was wrong. He's not saying that rules are bad and, and rules are wrong. He's just saying that, you know, over this time with Jesus, we've just noticed through him that the laws and the rules, they're just painfully adequate. Through Jesus, we've just learned that these rules and these laws, they're sorely inadequate for connecting us back to our source of love. They just, they just don't do it. And so it says that what Jesus brought to this earth as opposed to the rules and the laws is Jesus brought the way of grace. And he brought the way of grace, guys, that, that basically says you don't have to have all your ethical guidelines down just like this right now. A grace that says you don't have to have your report card just right and if you do, Jesus will love you and he'll reward you for it. What grace said is that love is available to you. And when that love pours out onto your life, you're gonna do better things naturally out of that love, experiencing that love. The rules don't lead you to do that. The rules aren't motivating. They don't really change you. But when that kind of love seeps out into your life, the byproduct is you're just gonna naturally be led to love and do better things out of that love. You see, what religion does, religion gets obsessed with the rules. Religion gets caught up in the ups and downs and this and that and the do's and the don'ts. And that's the first thing I wanna look at today that's a big problem with religion. If you follow along your outline, religion lives for the rules. Religion lives for the rules. It's a problem. It's a problem. Let me explain it this way. If a religious type person walked into this place today, let me give you an example of a few comments that would be swirling around under their breath or in their mind. They'd probably say, there are people wearing jeans in the Lord's house. <gasps> the audacity. I don't want to make a big stink about this, but a couple weeks ago I was here, that pastor, he said poop in a sermon. He did. I mean, has he been to seminary? Is he qualified? Um, looking at the outline here in the bulletin, I only see one Bible verse. Do they even teach scripture around here? I mean, where's the depth in this place? See, religion lives for the rules. Lives for the rules. Tony Campala, who is my all-time favorite speaker, teacher, radical guy, tells a wonderful story about several years ago. He was speaking at a pastor's conference. Bunch of Christian leaders, about 2,000 of them in this, in this room. And he's speaking to them on the topic of the importance of compassion in ministry. And he was talking about this country in Africa that just had a, a starvation and hunger epidemic that was just at an all-time high. Probably nothing what it is today, honestly, but was even a big deal back then. And he looked at these guys and he said, you know what, guys? You know what the great tragedy in this room is? is that in the last 30 minutes I've been speaking, over 100,000 children have died of starvation, and none of you give a bleep. Okay, and I'm not gonna use the profanity he used because it's fairly strong, okay? And he said there was this hush among the room. And you could hear the self-righteousness of these pastors mumbling, can you believe the audacity they bring in the speaker? Does he know who he's talking to? I am appalled by such language in such a religious arena. And then he leaned to the mic, and I swear if I'd been there when he spoke this next line, I would have stood up and cheered and done the wave all by myself. He leaned to the mic and he said, you know what the greater tragedy is than that? You know what the greater tragedy than that is? Is that each of you are more concerned about that word I just said than those 100,000 children that just died of starvation. You see, religion lives for the rules. And the problem that John and other writers in the Bible point out is that rules, they just don't bring us life. 
They just don't. The rules don't bring life to you, they don't bring life to me, they sure don't bring life to others, and they sure don't bring life to the church. They're a prescription for a slow death. Really. Are rules bad? No. I have them in my home with my kids. Rules are good. Rules protect. Rules limit evil action in different communities, but you don't get life from the rules. You get life from grace. So we gotta live for grace. The challenge is, is that religion lives for the rules. That's the problem. And it can put these religious types in some pretty funky corners. It can really get religious types all worked out where they eventually find themselves not even knowing how to respond to a certain situation with common sense that just requires love. They don't know what to do. I saw a hilarious example of this a few years ago. At least once a year I try to go to a conference with other pastors and leaders from around the country. And I'm always tickled at these things. And um, during, the, during the, the breaks, pastors all kind of gather around tables and they, they want to kind of hear themselves talk. You know, it's like, our church is running 9,000 in attendance now. We've doubled our Sunday school in the last three months. I'm working on my second master's at the seminary. And they just, they want to just go on about their, their knowledge and their leadership. And, and it's really a good time to go pee and get a coffee, you know. But every now and then, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in one of these just for a little fun, you know. I want to get in there and just all of a sudden ask just the dumbest question in the world, you know. Because those guys are never going to know who I am or see me again, you know. But, but I got in one of these one time where this guy, he was talking to the pastor, he had all these guys' attention like they were his disciples. He says, gentlemen, have you ever thought about this? You know, the Bible says that thou shalt not kill, and the Bible also says that thou shalt not lie. Now, I'm going to throw something out of your track with me. And these guys are eating out of the palm of his hand. He thought it was Jesus, you know. And uh, he says, here's what I want you to think about. Imagine with me for a moment that you're living back in World War II and you're hiding Jews in your home. And I'm thinking, hey, at least he's using a real applicable situation for the 21st century, you know. But anyway, he says, just, just track with me. And imagine that a group of Nazi stormtroopers show up on your porch and they demand to know where you're hiding the Jews. And all the guys are like, wow. Mmm. Good one. The religious types are like, oh, moral dilemma. Mmm. Wow. He said, see? I mean, what do you do? I mean... If you tell them they're there, they're going to kill them. That can't honor God because the Bible says don't kill. If you lie to them, you tell them they're not there and you redirect them somewhere else, that can't honor God because the Bible says don't lie. What do you do? What do you do? Moral dilemma. Moral dilemma. And I want to stand them and go, guys, there is no moral dilemma. Use common sense. Let's not be stupid. Have you guys not seen the commandment that says thou shalt not be stupid? Have you all seen that? It's in the book of Jalakariah. <laughs> so guys, this morning, inside tip for you right here. This is for free, okay? If the Nazis come to your house, lie to them. <laughs> Always lie to the Nazis. Basic rule. I shouldn't have to tell you this. Did your parents tell you anything for crying out loud? Lie to the Nazis. Lie to them every time. <laughs> Religious types, they get so caught up in these kind of questions. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And if you think I'm just trying to be cute or funny or fill time here, I'm not. Take a look at the Bible sometime. And if you begin to turn through the pages of the Bible, you will continually find a God who time and time again continually prioritized the life of the innocent versus giving truth to evil. You'll see it in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 1. If you go to that chapter, you're going to find a group of midwives there. And they had specific orders from the king who said, every Hebrew boy who was born, kill him. These midwives are a little saucy, They're like, mm-mm, hey, I don't think so. Not doing that. So they lied, they deceived, they hid them, they saved them. King came like, I, I don't know. They lied. And the Bible says God rewarded them for it. You go over to Joshua 2 in the Old Testament, the second chapter, you're going to find a prostitute there named Rahab. She was hiding these Israelite spies from the king who wanted to kill them. The king sends his men there to find them. She lies, she saves them. The Bible later on says that she is on, her name is on, the roll call of righteous for her faith and for what she did. And so if you take nothing else away from the series, take this. Always lie to the Nazis. Okay? For instance, today, if you go to lunch down here at Crestview Town Center, you're over here on Dixie Highway, you're getting out of your car, and this minivan pulls up, and these Nazi stormtroopers jump out and ask you something, lie to them. Lie to them. 
Even if they ask you some simple question like, hey, do you know where the gap is? Because they want to get a few more pairs of khakis. You know, lie to them. Always lie to the Nazis. What's amazing to me is every time I leave one of those conversations, and it's always with the religious types, I'm just always tickled because I realize it's only those types of people that could get so bogged down in a question like that. That could dedicate so many hours of their time to something like that that really just doesn't matter. And I shouldn't be surprised by it. I saw this as a kid growing up in the church. I remember as a kid attending these open deacon meetings and, and uh, business meetings in our church where people would come in and just sound off about things. I mean, let it fly. Really, really nasty. And they wouldn't hear themselves for hours debate and pontificate about all their knowledge and the rules and the codes and the laws. And I've seen it even as an adult serving on counselors and leadership teams where people want to come and go hear themselves talk for an hour and a half about this rule. We didn't do it like this and on and on and on. And you just want to go, whatever happened to just loving and serving people? <laughs> Isn't that what we're about? When did it become about all this hoo-ha? See, the problem is for religious people, not only do they paint themselves into some funky corners, but they begin to believe that it's the law and it's the rules and it's being good and pleasing God. That's what it's about. And when you begin to live thinking that it's all about being good and following the rules and doing good for God and all the ups and downs and crossing the T's and dotting the I's just right, you begin to really believe that you've earned God's love. And I'm going to tell you something. That is an incredibly dangerous, dangerous place to be. It really is. Because the fact is, guys, and you know this, when you think you've earned something, you might be happy, but are you grateful? No, you're not. The only time that you really experience true gratitude is when you're able to receive something that you've totally not earned. Totally unmerited, totally unexpected. That's when you respond with gratitude. And the problem with religious types is somewhere along the way, they stop responding in their relationship to God. And they start responding to God as if they're in some kind of contractual relationship with him. Kind of like, hey God, I've, I've held up mine of the deal, now you need to pull off your end of the deal. As opposed to just saying, man, I can't believe I'm loved by this God who just loves me in a ridiculous kind of way, in a way I don't deserve. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, this is, again, where I need you to participate. Who here right now has a $10 bill on them I could borrow? Okay, I need a $10 bill. Okay, Sandy? Okay, would you come up here, Sandy, real quick? I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. She's like, no, I don't, forget it. It's just Monopoly. Okay, Tammy, let's hear it for Tammy. She's going to take a bullet for her friend. Okay. Tammy, will you give me that 10, please? I feel like a gas station guy here. Fill her up. Okay, give me your 10 there. All right. Anybody got a lighter? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, Tammy, you gave me a $10 bill. You know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to give you two fives. Isn't that great? Now, are you appreciative of that? Okay, no, okay, now stay right here for a second, okay, now stay right here. No, you're not, I don't blame you. Now, who in this room literally does not have $10 cash on them, okay? Just a hint, this will be those of you who just didn't raise your hand a moment ago, okay? Don't be ashamed, who, who, who doesn't have $10 cash on them? I, I, I can't see. Come on up, is that Gloria Riddle? Come on up, Gloria. Yeah, Gloria. Gloria, Gloria, na, 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 okay? Gloria, I'm going to give you as well two fives. Okay, are you grateful for that? Yeah. Appreciate it. It's gas money. At least get you from here to Florence or something, you know, all right? Now, let's look at these two things. What is the difference? Okay, what, is the, what, what just happened here? Okay, you got Tammy here, okay? She got what she deserved. She gave me a 10. I gave her two fives. Gloria comes up. She gets what she totally did not deserve. Something she didn't earn. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Something she totally didn't expect. Okay, now, I'm going to need that back after the service. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. Go back to your seats. I'm just kidding. Keep it. No, let's keep it, really. No, really. You can keep it. Gloria, I need you to keep that to just uphold the integrity of this illustration. Um, however, I need you to live your life in a manner that's worthy of that, okay? All right. All right, thanks. Now, what I'm trying to say is the problem is we don't have gratitude for things that we think we deserve. You might be happy, but you don't have crazy gratitude. It doesn't happen when you feel like you're holding up your end of the bargain and you're waiting for him to hold up his end of the deal. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. That's why some of the most nastiest, most meanest, 
ugliest people I have interfaced with in my life. You know where I've encountered them? In the church. You got that right. Nasty, nasty people. Bitter, angry, rude, awful. Bitter people. Religious types. You know why they're bitter? Because they feel like, but hey, I've been, I've been doing the dance all these years. I've been following the rules. I brought my Bible, wore my suit. I gave my offering. I pray, I tithe. I served on a committee. I do all this, and, and when's it going to come back around to me? Where's my karma? You know? Where's my karma? When's it going to come back around to me? When gratitude just lives out of a response to grace that says, I'm just <laughs> scandalously loved in an unreasonable way by my Creator, and I'm grateful. See, because I think the problem is most people in America today have never, ever heard the message of Jesus Christ. I don't really think they have. You know, I believe most people in our generation have heard and been fed Christian karma. Christian karma. Christian karma basically says it's about the rules, okay? You just got to get the rules down. You do what Jesus do, and then he'll reward you for it. You be good. You do God. You please God, and God will love you. And then the extent that you're able to follow the rules, God will then love you in proportion to that. Guys, that's Christian karma, and that's crap. It really is. That couldn't be further away from the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting is that one of the clearest articulations of this that I've heard in years actually came right from the mouth of a guy that none of you in this room would consider to be a preacher. And yet he speaks the word of Christ more clearly than about 90% of any pastor I've heard on radio or TV in the last several years. Happens to be Bono, the lead singer of U2. And I want to look for a moment at what he says and how he talks about this in his own life. Look at what he says. He says, the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. Karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye. And yet along comes this idea called grace to upend all that. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts all that. I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am. And I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. Now, guys, why is it that today we have a clear articulation of the gospel from the lead singer of U2 than we do from any religious channel we could turn on on TV? Why? Because we're being sold Christian karma. We are. And it's no wonder people in our generation and our friends, they're confused. And they're trying to differentiate between the codes of Buddha and the pillars of Islam and Hinduism and, and Christianity. It's all just all these different flavors of religion thrown into this big blender. It's one of the results of Christian karma. And Christian karma leads to a life of bitterness. Where you're constantly bitter because you're going, I've done my part. God, when's the rest going to come back around to me? Where's the payback? When grace just says, hey, it's a gift to wake up again today and not be in hell. Thank you, God. Grace says, my creator scandalously loves me. My creator knows everything about me, even the dirty stuff, and he still loves me. See, religion brings a slow death because religion lives for the rules. But then religion also does something else that makes it a big problem. Because religion also selectively enforces the rules. And we see this happen a lot of times in this particular flavor of Christian karma. You'll see people do what I call cherry-picking the Bible. Okay? They'll begin to reach for a few specific sound bites or rules from the Bible, and they become like their big theme, their big bandwagon. They become the fruit of the message that they're screaming through their megaphone to people. They'll fall on their sword over them. But what they tend to do is they tend to pick the things that they don't struggle with or wrestle with or deal with, and then they kind of overlook or put aside the things that they do wrestle with or don't want to focus on and kind of look past now, I'm going to illustrate this this morning using uh, probably what's kind of a controversial example, okay? Controversial because I think it has the potential to tick off everyone in this room in some kind of way, whether you're 
rich or poor, whether you're young, old, liberal, conservative, it probably has that kind of potential. It probably makes some of you squirm a little bit, but I don't think all squirming is a bad thing, actually. But I'm going to throw it out there because I think it has the potential to really drive home what we're trying to talk about here. So everybody take a deep breath with me. Ready? Here we go. Homosexuality and overeating. Homosexuality and overeating. Now, if you turn on CNN today, you look in the paper, all these religious groups, what's their big banner thing right now? They're screaming through the megaphone. Gays. Homosexuality. Boycott Disney. Gays are bad, and they're quoting scripture and railing and going off on these groups and these people. My question is, when is the last time you saw these groups going off about overeating? <laughs> Which is no secret, it's my sin that I struggle with. Be very transparent with you. I don't have victory over that in my life. I'm trying like the Dickens. I really don't. That's my sin. You don't hear them going off about that a whole lot. They could quote scripture all day from the Bible about overeating. You could look at Sodom and Gomorrah and find that that was one of the sins that was there. They were overfed. You can see the Bible talk about how gluttony is a disgrace and dishonors God. Now, I want to be careful here. I'm not talking about being overweight. Let me be politically correct here for a moment, okay? Now, however, there is a little bit of a connection between overheating and being overweight. You know, there really is, I think, you know. Eh, who knew? But I know that people have thyroid issues, and my body just it responds different chemically to different things. Okay, I'm not, we're talking about overeating here, okay? What the Bible would call gluttony. And over and over again in the Bible, it talks about what a sin it is to be overfed, to be led by the God of your stomach. But here's my question. How often do we see a religious group going off on a tangent about that? When was the last time? When was the last time you saw people with picket signs boycotting outside Golden Corral? Don't eat here. Buffets are bad, fatties. When? When was the last time you saw a religious group or organization call for the boycott of McDonald's in the name of God? When? When's the last time you saw a religious group carrying around a big sign saying, We hate pastry chefs. We hate pastry chefs. Burn in hell. When's the last time? You know what? You're never going to see it. You know why? Because religion selectively enforces the rules. It cherry picks the Bible. It picks out a few sound bites that those folks don't wrestle with or don't struggle with, that they and their friends don't deal with, and then they push aside and overlook the other problems that they would deal with. Okay, that's what religion does. And if you're new to Watermark, here's what I want you to know. Wherever you are on a question like that, or a thing like homosexuality, here's what you need to know. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. Okay? Wherever you are on a question like that, you're welcome here. You're welcome. And we created this place for you. We created the way we do community around here for you. Now, what you also need to know that is, as a church, we believe when we look at the Bible, that the clear teaching of the Bible is that homosexuality falls way outside God's plan. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. It does. We also see in the Bible that God created this awesome thing called sex. What a cool God that could create something like sex. He's a great God. It's a gift for you to enjoy and express yourself, but within certain bounds. And we believe that the Bible teaches very clearly that homosexuality falls outside of those bounds. However, we also see God draw other boundaries and overeating falls outside of those bounds. We see him draw other boundaries over here and a judgmental spirit falls outside of those bounds. So what do we do? It's confusing, isn't it? I mean, it used to be easy. For 50 years of our culture, our culture, our church, they used to tell us which sins were important which ones weren't. What do we do now? The church used to tell me, here's the big ones. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't dance with girls that do, and don't read a Playboy. <laughs> what do I do now? It's confusing. What, what do we do? Moral dilemma. What do we do? You know what we do, guys? We look at the model of Jesus. That's what we do. We look at the model of Jesus. Amen? Yes. We look at the model of Jesus. And we create a place like Watermark that will never be about the religious rules. We create a place where you can come whether you're wrestling with overeating, whether you're wrestling with homosexuality, whether you're wrestling with pornography, 
whether it's fear, greed, lying, selfishness, we create a place where we can say to you sincerely, we welcome you. We welcome you. We really love you, and we're gonna challenge you. (laughs) We welcome you. We love you, and we're gonna challenge you. Now, we don't assume that everybody in this place is on the same page yet with the understanding of all that. But what we do assume, however, is that every person who walks through these doors every week is at least open to hearing what God has to say and to challenging and being open to his challenge to every area of their lives, even the sensitive ones, that we're at least open to that. See, religion's a problem because religion, it selectively enforces the rules. That's why I pray for the death of religion. One other problem, it's also a little controversial, I thought, why not go for it while I'm out here on thin ice with you? The last one. Religion tries to legislate love. Religion tries to legislate love. Once or twice a year, now that people are giving us a little, a little bit of validity as a church, <laughs> we'll, get a, we'll get a call at the office from like a political interest group or party, and they've gotten this idea that, hey, we'll use the church to kind of rally the troops around a certain issue or idea. And the thing they're calling about is usually not anything bad or, you know, it's not anything off the charts or anything. Um, but they'll say, hey, this is what they've been saying in their, their newsletters and their TV. They'll tell their folks, hey, here's the deal. Today, contact your local church and have your pastor speak about this from the pulpit. Contact them immediately. And often it's to get some political issue passed or kind of some thinly veiled plan to try to get somebody into the office. But they'll say, today, Call your local church and have your pastor address this from the pulpit. And so our phone will ring, you know, and I'll get on there, and I'll have to try to explain to them that, you see, guys, well, we don't have a pulpit. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it gets you off the hook on it pretty quick. But, but no, I don't say that. No, what I do is I just try to explain to them that even though what they're doing is probably a really good thing, it may be even something that I personally feel very passionate about, I have to try to explain to them, as the church, when we look to scripture, we just don't see the marching orders given to the church having anything to do with political action. We just don't, it's it's not there, it's just not. Now, we celebrate people here as they grow and as they learn, and we encourage our people to get fully engaged in their world and their society, and if that includes political influence and issues for you, knock yourself out, go for it. It's great, be engaged. But when we look at the marching orders given to the church by Jesus, we really see that our job and responsibility is to be about two things, basically. Two things. Teaching and being friends. Teaching and being friends. And it's through teaching and relational engagement that lives get changed. It really is. If you look at the life of Jesus, guys, in his ministry on this earth, where did he spend most of his time? He spent his time with sinners. He spent his time hanging out with people, proclaiming truth, teaching, and relationally engaging with people in a very raw and a very real way sometimes that even made some people uncomfortable. How much political action do you see him doing? Now, it's not that people weren't trying to suck him into it at times. There's a guy one time that came to Jesus with a coin and tried to trick him into making some kind of statement about taxes and stuff. They're always trying to trick him into that stuff and make him fall into that political arena but over and over again in the Bible we see him just kind of continue to kind of rebuff people's attempts to make his kingdom thing a political thing (laughs) people time and time again were trying to make Jesus kingdom thing this kingdom thing a political thing and he said no it's not what it's about now it would have been very tempting for Jesus I think to kind of want to bite into that and throw his hat into that because he grew up and he lived and he taught in a country that was overseen by Roman occupation And so because of that, I'm sure he dealt with a lot of insults and jokes and political abuse. And at times he had to just bite his tongue. So easy to want to jump into that. But he said, no, here's what I'm going to be about. I'm going to be about proclaiming truth, teaching, and relationally engaging with people. And when that happened, guys, what we see is we see hearts get changed, lives get changed, and then communities change. That's what happens. Anything wrong with political engagement? No. Nothing at all. We just don't see that those are the marching orders given to the church. We see it's to be about teaching and relationally engaging with people. And when those things happen and spell it from our lives, here's what's gonna happen. A life gets changed, 
And when you change a life, you change a community. And when you change a community, you change a world. Those are the marching orders given to the church. Now, let me reiterate here why we're doing this series. Some of you are scratching your head going, I really want five easy steps to using my toaster. So I'm like, why, 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 why are we doing this? You know why we're doing this? Because guys, we are not immune to this stuff. Individually, nor as a church. Religion is creeping up in us and in churches all the time. All the time. I have to ask myself and challenge myself all the time. Chad, are you still living a life of love and grace? Or are you falling back into religious patterns? And one of the goals of the series is to just nail down once again what we're about here and what we're not about. And what we're not about is religion. What we're not about is being an institution. We want to continue to become a revolution. A revolution. And I think it's interesting when you look at history and you look at some of the people who in the very early start and formative years of our country were major revolutionaries. A lot of the people they'll point to are religious figures. And, and it's cool to see how God used them. It really is. But there's another group of people they often overlook that I would call love revolutionaries. Had major impact and foundation laying going on in those early formative years of our country. And you know where they came from? The local church. They're just like us, just ordinary local church people making an impact. In the early years, there was the, the Methodist circuit riders who would ride daily on horseback all over the countryside, studying their Bible as they rode, stopping anywhere they could to spread the good news of grace to people who would listen, you know? There was ancient preachers like Jonathan Edwards who took a ton of heat and a lot of nasty criticism for adapting and customizing his messages for his Native American friends. There's a guy like George Whitfield, who everybody said was scandalous because he used advertising to spread the gospel. These people were love revolutionaries. They would do anything it took to get the message of grace in Jesus to their friends. And I look at all that and I go, what has happened? What's happened to that? Something has happened. In the last 50 to 100 years in the United States, something has happened. And you know what's happened? Religion has got a hold of stuff. It's got a hold of stuff. How many people here have ever been inside a fire station before? Firehouse, okay, drugs, okay, yeah. Now, if you've never been, you would be if you had a four-year-old son, okay? I have a four-year-old, and he is obsessed with cars and trucks, and so we find ourselves in places like that often. And it's our fault we started with this DVD series we bought. There goes a truck, okay? There's about 19 of these things. There goes a truck. Hey, there goes a tractor. There goes a car. There goes a train. There goes a backhoe. That was a fascinating one, you know? And then in the midst of it, there goes a fire truck, you know? And I've tried a few times to get Casey interested in other things, things like, hey, there goes an NFL playoff game, you know, or, uh, or the newest uh, one that's come out, there comes a uh, Chipotle burrito, you know, he's, he's not really bitten onto any of that yet. But out of this, he loves trucks and fire trucks. And so often we'll find ourselves at a fire station. If we're cruising around, we're in a different town or down in Lexington or Louisville, we'll, if we got time, we'll pop in. The guys usually are really cool. If there's nothing going on, let them get up on the trucks and ring the siren, all that kind of stuff. And one of the places we frequent in is, is in Crestwood, just outside of Louisville. My wife's got some family there, and we, we frequent there pretty often. And there's a firehouse we go to there that a lot of his nieces and nephews go to. They're all about the same age, and the guys there are really cool. And uh, the last time we were down there, we went there, and the place looked totally different. They'd overhauled the thing. He's just like, this is in the same place, Daddy. I'm like, yeah, it is. You know, trust me. Different amenities, aesthetics, made it a lot more comfortable. But even with all the new stuff, there was no way that you could mistake what their mission still was. You couldn't, you couldn't miss it, what they were all about, what they were there to do. Still had the big old stinking trucks parked right there in front of the doors. You about tripped over the guy's hats and boots and gear because it's right there, so if in a drop of hat they got to get somewhere, boom, they're ready to go. And even with all the nice stuff and all the amenities and all the updates and upgrades and conveniences, you still couldn't miss what they're there for. There was no mistaking it. And I saw that, and I began to wonder and ask myself, I wonder what would have happened if the local church had got a hold of this 50 years ago. I really wonder. I wonder what would happen if the local church 50 years ago had been put in charge of this remodeling project. I think it would have been plenty comfortable, at least for the firefighters. 
They would have said, hey, we can do this, we can do that, we can do that and over here. And at some point, somebody would have said, those big doors where the trucks are, it's drafty. I mean, that is a cold breeze coming through. Can we board those things up, maybe? And then, what's up with these oily fire engines? I mean, they're dripping everywhere. This is new carpet. They're going to stain everything. Can we get those trucks out of here, maybe? And then that alarm. That alarm is so obnoxious. It goes off 100 times a day. Can we maybe disconnect that so we could sleep a little bit better around here? And you would hope for the love of God that somebody would walk into that place and go, folks, this is a fire station. (laughs) Screaming that. This is a fire station. Nothing wrong with these things that are comfortable, but it becomes a problem they get between us and the people. Let's not forget what we're here for. Guys, we're rescuers of love. And if we're not about the people out there, then we're about nothing. 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 Now I'm going to tell you something. I think there's more than just a few religious places on this earth that could stand somebody to come in and scream that a few times, nice and loud. And my challenge to you is that we will continue to keep screaming that to each other in and around this place that we'll continue to scream to each other and remind each other what we're really about here, what this thing is all about that we're doing that we're a part of, and what it's not about. And what it's not about is religion. It's not about becoming an institution. It's about being rescuers of love. Rescuers of love and being about the way of grace. Would you pray with me? God, I just, on behalf of our church, ask you right now that our passion here about the death of religion would be one about constantly stomping it out in us. That we would not create a place here that's going to throw rocks at religious people, but instead we would create a place that roots it out of our hearts and out of our community here. And God, would you allow this place to continue to be a place that just oozes your grace and your love. And I ask these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Have a great week. See you next weekend. This show is brought to you by Talk Show. Create your own internet talk show. Check it out at T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E dot com.